Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Doggy Pod. Thanks for listening. I'm Dr. Rob Zammett and with me is the award-winning producer, my friend, Stephen Peters. Award-winning? Oh, Logies and all ladies oh, and gentlemen. That was a long time ago. No, long time ago, no. yes. Hello and um, thanks for joining us on the show. Today we're going to talk about uh, colour blindness in dogs. Does your dog see in black and white or colour and does it make any difference? And I'm also going to talk about dingoes. Yeah, wild dogs, yep. I've been doing a lot of study on dingoes lately. And that's why we're talking about them in this show. Yeah. And in Dr. Rob's top five this week, he's going to tell us the five best bits of advice for all dog owners. The top five bits of advice for all dog owners. Anyway, right, let's kick it off with what's been happening in the clinic this week. Uh, over to you, Rob. I think you've been doing a bit of delivering. Uh, oh, yes, I have, actually. Uh, just this morning. Like uh, literally <clears throat> a couple of hours ago, Rob to... was up to his elbows. I uh, was having trying to have a quiet day off, but uh, one of my friends rang me and their dog was in trouble, a French bulldog. Ten puppies we had to deliver by caesarean section, and it belonged to no, none other than the Western Suburbs no, Rugby League. West, West Tigers. West Tigers. We can't say West Suburbs. No. West Tigers. Rug, and Stephen is a fan of the West Tigers. Go Tigers. Rugby League Club in Sydney. James Tamu and his beautiful wife, Brittany, and they've got four boys. I said to them, are you, are you going to give me a whole team here? Yeah. You're going to go for a whole new rugby league team? Uh, but yeah, they've now got f- uh, five boys, uh, five more boys and three girls. Right, so, so what, what, what sort of dogs were they? Again? French bulldogs. French bulldogs. And, and the yeah, ten puppies. She was just so big, Stephen. Yeah. She couldn't really strain to get anything out normally. So she was discharging and a little bit of trouble. But we got in there and mother and pups and have gone home. And James has gone north to play uh, in the rugby league today. Yes, he's playing today. Um, so, so how does that work if, if the dog was booked in for a caesarean, but yep. then they had to rush it? What what? What would force you having to jump ahead a day? Oh, with us, it's you know we provide a twenty-four hour service. Not every vet 
does that. It's not easy to do, trust me, in, in veterinary science. It's very taxing on the veterinarians. It's taxing on the veterinary nurses to provide a 24-hour service. Um, but we're fortunate position that we've evolved to be able to do just that. And so you know, she had a discharge that was coming out, a coloured discharge from her vagina, had a little bit of red in it, so it was a bit of blood, um, and some green, so it's a bit of placenta coming away, telling us it's time for her to deliver puppies. She hadn't strained, but obviously had dilated sufficiently, and there was sufficient breakdown of the placenta. The placentas were coming away to tell me, yep, things should have been <laughs> it's moving. Time. Yeah. yeah, it's time. So we were uh, thinking it was going to be tomorrow, but uh, the little girl said no. Anna said, no, today's my day. I'm coming in now because I'm so full. She was for a little Frenchie. Ten pups, I've got to tell you, it's a lot of puppies. Yeah, yeah, that would have been so cute. Yeah. Um, um, so from the time they walked in mm-hmm. to the time they then walked out with a whole bunch of puppies. How yep. long would that have taken? Oh, for me, it's about one and a half hours. Wow. Um, I, yeah, we had everything prepared, ready. She walked in, went straight into the surgery. Uh, oxygen was delivered, put her on the drip, uh, give her anaesthetic, and then you know, the girls were pre- prepping it while I was prepping myself, scrubbing up. In we go, get all the pups out, sew her up, and sewing up is probably the hardest part. But you've got to be mm. fairly quick because if you leave them knocked out for too long, there's a lot of anaesthetic that transfers across the placenta into the puppies. You do not want to be pulling out anaesthetized puppies because it's very difficult then to make them breathe. So I like course, to do yeah. to be quick. That first uh, 20 minutes is vital. I like to have all the pups out within 20 minutes from start of delivery of the first anaesthetic. And then the slow part is stitching them all up. You know, it's, you've got to sew up the uterus in a waterproof type layers. So you've got to make sure that the waterproof is literally watertight. Mm. Then you sew up the muscle layer um, of the abdomen, the tummy muscles. Then the layer under the skin, the subcutaneous fat and all the tissues there, they have to be sewn up. And then finally the skin layer. Then you can wake the little girl up and she's ready to feed pups and go home. That is a lot of stitching. And all this while uh, while Dad was on his way to the footy. Uh, yes, we told him, forget this. We'll take care of this. I've done this once before, I said to to. to uh, <laughs> James, I like to call him James, very formal. He <laughs> likes Jim. Um, but yeah, I said to him, you just get yourself home, uh, get yourself up there and concentrate on the football and we'll concentrate on the pups. Preferably winning. But, but guess we'll, what? We'll he kept on you know, texting uh, Brittany and saying, what's going on? How are they? How's my little girl? <laughs> He's sure. such a softy. He really is. Beautiful man. Beautiful I'm, man. I'm sure she sent him lots of photos. Oh, I, she did, trust me. <laughs> but all is well in the, the Tamu household tonight. Now, is it a myth that dogs are colourblind? And and how would we know? Mm, yeah. That's, that's where you come in, Rob. Well, you show them a colour chart and say, what can you see? And they, ba- they bark once for red, three for green. That's it. Yeah, no. Or they can do what... Uh, oh, there you go. <laughs> that dog's not colourblind. There's always um, a dog barking around here. <laughs> so there are nerve cells in the retina that tell you uh, what colours you can see. There are special... Uh, cells called cones that sit in the retina. Humans have three types of cones, so we can see red-green and we can see blue and yellow quite easily. Dogs only have two cones, and they're the blue-yellow ones, so they don't see all colours. They can see some colours, but not all. It's called dichromatic because they've only got two cones, as opposed to humans that have 
a lot more. And also it's the amount of cones you actually have in the retina because the retina is made up of two, two types of cells, rods, which help you with uh, low light and help you with movement, and the other, the cones, which help you with um, color. In humans, the retina is packed with cones, quite a lot of cones, so we can see color. Mm-hmm. In dogs, it's not so, much, not so important to see color, but rather to see in low light and to be able to see movement. And so they have more rods in their retina. And so, so are they better at night vision than we are? They are for another reason as well, not just the rods and cones. Mm. There's a, a special layer of cells that they have right around uh, the inside of the eye. It's Technically, it's called tapetum lucidum, and it, it literally reflects light into the retina. Um, and that's why if you ever take a flash of a dog... You know, if you take, take flash photography mm-hmm. and you've got your dog in there, your dog's eyes are nearly always lit up. Yeah. You know, yeah. the red eyes don't, uh, f- adjustment for a camera doesn't usually work in a dog because they have such great reflection at the back of the eye. And this, right. again, allows them to see in less light. Now, why would that be important? Think about it. Dogs have evolved for a long, long time. You know, they've evolved over 34,000 years. And so during that time, what's happened is that they hunt at dawn and dusk. You know, during the other times, dogs are just laying around. Mm. You know, we often think, oh, my dog's not running around much. They don't in, in the wild either. They, they learn to conserve energy. But at dawn and dusk, that's when they're hunting. So what does the landscape look like at dawn and at dusk? It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter how colorful it is. It's gray. You know, mm. At dawn, it's just, just the first lights coming through. The landscape's grey. You don't see a lot of colour. What you need to see is movement because your prey will move and that's what you, you need to chase after. So that's why they developed this great layer of tissue inside the, the eye that reflects light so they can see better in low light and they can see movement with their rods, the special nerve cells inside the retina that allows them to, to depict that movement very quickly and go and chase it and do whatever they need to do to stay alive and survive, to hunt. Uh, and that's why we often think of dogs, oh, they can see in the dark. Well, not totally in the dark, mm. but low light, yeah, they've got much better low light vision than we have. So there's probably no reason that a dog needs to see in colour, is there? Not, not a great deal, no, other than when he's watching TV with me. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Course, and course, and yeah. uh, yeah, that's obvious. Yes, um, my pug keeps changing the, the station. He gets bored very easily. I think, but yes. <laughs> they do have short attention spans. Yeah, but they, but they obviously can see a lot on TV because they'll sit there and and watch and turn their heads with me. And you know, they, you, you they're trying them. to figure it out. You, yeah, I think they can see if there's a dog barking, or everybody looks up straight away. Which dog is that? Oh, it's Lassie. Oh, she's always barking. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, no dogs. Um, dogs can see some colour a lot more than we give them credit for. We used to think it was all black and white. Yeah, that's it's, what I thought. Yeah, it's not that. They, they especially can see the blues and the yellows. They don't live in quite the same colour world that we do, but uh, they don't care. It doesn't worry them. They can see movement and they can see you from very far away. Now, for people who may not know, Dr. Rob is always doing research papers and always, always into all sorts of things, not just his, his daily work at the clinic. And I know he's been doing a lot of research lately on dingoes, of all things, and I'm sure he'll tell us why in a moment. 
But I'm also interested to know, you know, are dingoes wild dogs? And also, are there such things like there, you know, in the Australian bush, there's there's feral cats, and that's quite a problem. Uh, is there such a thing as feral dogs out there as mm-hmm. well? But let's just talk about the dingo. Sure, a, um, a truly Aussie dog, is it or not? Well, yeah, the, that's the that's the myth. M- million dollar? No, not that's the million dollar question, mm. um, because some people want to shoot dingoes out, mm. get rid of them all. And that would be, uh, I think, a shame because the question is, are they a wild dog that we are trying to tame a bit, in which case they are Australian native dog? Or are they a, a once domesticated dog that's just gone a bit feral, in which case governments can shoot them out if they wish? And uh, the Chinese, would you, would you believe, scientists, decided mm-hmm. they studied and said, oh, it's just a domestic dog, shoot them out. That's seriously their paper said, it's domestic dog. Uh, we've gone a little bit further with our study. Uh, Professor Bill Ballard, who I you know, must credit for his great work in this area, he's one of the, well, really top-notch molecular biologists in all the world, and mm. we're lucky to have him here in Australia. Uh, he started a lot of the work in the dingoes. I tried to sort of say to him, well, why don't we look at uh, hip dysplasia in dogs and see if we can get rid of that. And so he said, well, okay, you get the samples from German shepherds and we'll, we'll start that work. What we then did, of course, was started looking at the comparison between a dog that doesn't have hip dysplasia, like the dingoes, compared to, say, the German Shepherd. And this led to a whole big study. We're looking at dingoes themselves, and we're looking at three different areas. The first area is, and we've published this, the difference in the biochemistry, if you like, the part of the physiology of the dingo. Mm. Now, what we looked at was a, a... enzyme produced by the pancreas called amylase. We talked once about the enzymes that that the pancreas produces to digest food. Hmm. Amylase you produce a lot of if you eat a lot of of, uh, carbohydrates, a lot of starch. In fact, in humans, you might be interested to know, there are three levels of amylase production. Asian people from Asian backgrounds produce a lot of amylase, I guess high rice diet. Rice, yeah, starch. European background, middle of the road with amylase and people from uh, black African backgrounds, a lot less amylase. Right. And and we found a similar thing in dingoes. German shepherds and other domestic dogs produce a lot more amylase because their diet has, has evolved now over quite a few hundred years with a lot more carbohydrate in it. Dingoes, not so much. And so their amylase production is very low. The other thing we looked at is behavior, and we will be publishing on the differences in behavior between dingoes and domestic dogs. And, of course, the other thing we're looking at is the DNA, the, you know, what's called long-chain reads. A DNA molecule is a very, very long molecule. Deoxyribonucleic acid. That's DNA is an extremely long molecule, which means nothing to me to any, or well, most people. Okay, but <laughs> but it, it's it also it's you have a very specific DNA yes. for A being a human being and B for being Stephen Peters. Dingoes and other breeds of, of canines have all these different DNA structures that we have been learning about for quite a few years. So we're looking at all that and. Yeah, if you look at the the, the biggest and with canines, the, the biggest canine they've, they've evolved for thirty odd million years plus. The biggest of them is, of course, the wolf. Mm. Now, dogs share ninety eight point nine percent 
of their DNA with wolves. And yet, can you get your dog to walk on wet grass? No way. 98%. The <laughs> 98.9% they say the DNA between dogs and d- domestic dogs and wolves. And, wolves. Wild and, wolves. and they have wow. sort of similarities. Yeah, they're boisterous as puppies with lots of energies. They, they um, love playing, of course, when, they, you know, when they're small pups. They play. Uh, they have pl- puppy fluff in their coats. They have that really fluffy coat. Um, which is the same as our pets. And then, of course, they develop that double coat, that soft downy coat underneath with a, a top layer of guard here, similar to our pets. But they have a, a stronger prey drive instinct. Our pets do have it, the stalk and chase. They do that, of course. But wolves have a very, very high social um, upbringing. They, you know, they really have a social structure that's very complex. A sort of pack mentality yep. type of... And this is why, well, pack and, yeah, and know how they know when they hunt, you know, they'll tell, yeah, you go down that side, you guys go down that side, we're going down the middle. How they break it all up and they know where they've got to be is beyond anyone's uh, recognition at this stage. They're they're trying to still Is there a hierarchy? Oh, there is very much a hierarchy, as the, you know, all, all the way down the chain. Very much a hierarchy with wolves. And not so much with our dogs. They don't have that total hierarchy but yeah and because it's such a complex thing this is why wolves tend to have say bigger brains than even our own dogs and and why dogs the canine species or which is over you know 300 different canines in the world not breeds Mm. not breeds of remember we're not talking just domestic dogs we're talking about all canines um they have generally a bigger brain than say animals that live a more a solitary existence like cats because mm. they don't need all that input. They don't get all the input, all that uh, work that they have to do to work out their social structure. It takes quite a bit of thinking about where I'm going to be and how I act and how I present myself to the dominant dog or mm. how I'm going to be the dominant dog, quite a bit. So there's quite a lot of work that's, that's being done in that. I mean, there's four main branches of canines. There's two of them are fox in the fox branch, which are the oldest of the canines. Then you get the rare South American canines, which are like the bush dog in, in, in Central America and the maned wolf. And then you get the true dogs, the African hunting dog, the coyote, the wolf, and, of course, Canis lupus familiaris, domestic dogs. So it's, it goes on. It's quite a complex okay. structure. And we're trying to work out, is there a Canis dingo or Canis mm. lupus dingo? That's why it's taking a, a while to get this, but I think we're we're getting to the pointy end of this whole. But we don't know thing. for sure. We we believe it's going to be that. We certainly everything is pointing to that. Different amylase, different behaviour, and some differences in DNA. I think is telling us, yep, this is a different species that's evolved as a wild dog, as Australian native wild dog. And would that be because of uh, our, our isolation here in Australia? Yeah, the, and so many species. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, we, we don't have kangaroos hopping in just about any other continent in the world like we have here. Mm. We have so many unique species. The platypus with its poisonous little um, spurs at the back, in, on its back legs mm. and all these other, you know, the, the Tasmanian devil, of course, and unfortunately our own Tasmanian tiger, which... Now, see, what was the Tasmanian tiger? That was a dog. Yes, that was a, can- a Canaday. And uh, is it still alive in the Tasmanian? Because I'll tell you something that happened recently, which makes you think, maybe so, maybe so. In Canada, in the forest, they found another species of deer. 
that they they discovered an entirely new species. And because of the vastness of the Tasmanian thickness of the Tasmanian forest, I hope maybe there's some Tasmanian tigers. tigers Oh, I think we'd all love that. Wouldn't it be great? That would be good. Bring them Um, back. So, but is there such a thing like feral cats of dogs oh. that were a particular mm. breed maybe and they've just uh, interbred and are just out there? We have feral dogs and we a do. lot of them are just domestic dogs have just gone wild out there. Yeah, you know, yeah. People haven't looked after the dogs, they've broken through fences and now off they go, they form packs. Mm. Feral dogs continue to be a problem, not as much as feral cats. But yes, feral dogs do live out there. And the other other thing I have seen, because I live on the outskirts of a big city, Mm. uh, from time to time you get packs of dogs that live during the day at home with their owners, but they're not uh, kept inside and they go out hunting as a pack and cause a lot of problems. It's uh, Hunting what, like sheep? Oh, or? Sheep and whatever's around, yeah, mm. alpacas. And uh, we had ostriches years ago. They'd go try and hunt ostrich even. That was a big mistake. They'd really get whacked with those big <laughs> claws. But, yeah, they'll go hunting just about anything and cause a lot of devastation on the small hobby farms around big cities uh, and then go home as if nothing had happened. They're only doing what comes natural because they're not, kept inside properly, often males that aren't desexed, going roaming, looking for females or whatever, and they form a pack. They form a hierarchy very quickly in that pack, and then they go hunting and chasing and unfortunately killing uh, innocent little herbivores. So keep your pets locked up, especially on the outskirts of a city. As corny as it sounds, but uh, does that mean they've sort of got the taste of blood and they quite like it? Well, they like to go out and hunt again, yeah. They enjoy mm. the hunt and let's do it again. Meet you tomorrow night. I've, I have actually documented that here mm. for councils in the past. And But would they I've actually seen... eat what they caught or is it just the thrill of the hunt? Uh, well, Cause they they might well have a bit of a chew on it, but they'll certainly kill it first. They'll bring it down, kill it and... Um, we honestly lost a sheep just in our mm. very back paddock here that we have through domestic dogs, pet dogs. I actually recognised them because some of them were clients of mine. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, that's awkward. It was awkward, but I had to have a talk to the people and owners and say, for the dog's sake as well, you know, your dogs are going to get into strife if they keep doing that. People will shoot them. That's what tends to happen. So please keep your dogs well confined. And I'm guessing they probably don't attack other dogs, or do they? Oh, yeah, they would, very much so, because they've got their pack mm. and another dog is seen as a competitor. And worse still, they might attack a human because they're, they're, they become a wild pack then while they're doing this. Right. I've gone right off dogs now. <laughs> no, not at all. Molly, did you hear that? Molly's in the studio with us, folks, and she's sitting in. Here she just sat up <laughs> looking very innocent. She said, I'm not leader of the pack. Sorry, mate. Okay, now it is time for everybody's favourite segment, Dr. Rob's Top 5. Drum roll, please. This week, it's the five simple bits of advice that Dr. Rob would give to all dog owners. Very simple bits of advice that we all should know. So, starting at number five. 
obedience classes. Now, I'm not just talking about puppy preschool because people go off to puppy preschool and say, I've got my dog trained. And I'm not saying to train your dog, overtrain it. I don't want it to necessarily go into obedience trials. Mm. But it's a, it's a lot of socialization for your dog um, and a lot of behavioral you know, modifications that will enhance the dog as a family member. So I think obedience classes, and I'm not, I'm not saying send your dog out to be trained. Never do that, as far as I'm concerned. Never do it. Really? Yep. Oh. Don't go sending your dog off to be trained. Do it yourself, you lazy bugger. <laughs> Controversial. Now, so the best trainer for your dog is you. And it will take one lesson a week, you know, and you, you'll miss some weeks, of course, but one lesson a week for a few months, and also five to ten minutes a day. That's it for, say, four or five times a week. It's not hours and hours of laborious training, but it gives your dog so much. You know, we talked on this show today about the increased brain size of dogs and especially Mm. wolves. Well, your dog's the same. If your dog doesn't use it, he'll lose it. And Mm. so get them out there doing a bit of obedience each each week um, and at an obedience class in one of the schools. There's lots of them which are voluntary people doing it and it's not expensive it is not expensive can you do that if your dog's you know four or five six yes you can yes you can you can train you you can can teach an old dog exactly right you just took the words right out of my (laughs) mouth as uh, meatloaf said okay coming in at number four is enrich the environment for them you know toys and other things um, I like those Kongs and those toys where you can stuff a bone inside them or you can put some treats in and then block each end with some uh, peanut butter and uh, block it up mm-hmm. and the dog has to lick out the peanut butter and get to the treats. Yeah, little, a little thing like that just before you leave gives them something to do for a while and to enjoy. So enrich the environment. Coming in at number three is... Be in charge when you walk your dog. Don't get dragged around everywhere. If you're being dragged around everywhere, you haven't thought of number five, the obedience classes, but also be in charge. When you walk, walk like you're in charge, not the dog, because the dog is a pack animal, and you need to show him, right, not not show him who's the boss, I don't believe in that, but show him that you're, mm. you're the, the pack leader, and off you go, and that's how you work, you, know, you work through the day with your dog. Your dog's happy then to stay home and guard the place when you're at work and makes him feel a lot secure when you you come home. He's the first to welcome you, of course. Coming in at number two. Stroke your dog regularly, especially while the dog is eating. You know, stroke him and say, good dog or her, good dog, good dog. While they're eating, why is that? While they're eating. Because later on, when when your dog is uh, doing something that you like, that is a good behaviour, you can say good dog, and it means more to that dog. While it's eating, it's feeling good. Mm. Now I'm getting stroked and, and saying yes. And Pavlov did it with the bells. Mm. He rang the bells and fed the dogs, and they felt good. After a while, he rang the bells and they salivated because they felt good. They thought food was coming. When you stroke them while they're eating, and stroke them all the time, dogs love being stroked, but stroke them while they're eating, saying good dog, good dog. Later on, when you say sit, and the dog sits, and you say good dog, it's much more meaningful for the dog. Coming in at number one in the five simple bits of advice that Dr. Rob would give to all dog owners is... Open the back door. Let them into the house. Oh, yeah, you're a big advocate. Oh, let them into their part of the family, at least for some of the time. Yeah, I, I love dogs in the house, just as Molly's in our studio now and we... 
often have some of the other dogs in the studio. We, we are the doggy pod after all. That's but, correct. Uh, yeah, open the back door, please. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening to another episode in the second series of The Doggy Pod. And please follow us and uh, on Facebook and Instagram. And also, you know, you may have missed some episodes, so feel free to go back and, and check out some of the earlier episodes from Series 1, where there's, you know, just tons of advice from Dr. Rob. But uh, that's it for this show. We will see you again uh, next week. Episodes come out every Friday, as you will know. And as always, Dr. Rob's... Got well, a special goodbye. I've got I a think. little story this time. A story. Yeah, it's okay. about. It's a true story. It's about it's this a little, real true story. A real true story about okay. this little creature, a little creature that was following the the creator, God, around, and God was naming everything: the fish, all the different fishes, all the birds. He gave them all different names, and all the reptiles and the mammals. And this dog, this little creature, kept following him around. And at the end of it, the little creature said, "Oh, there's no name left for me." And God said, yes, there is. I'll turn my name around and call you dog. And so, as Abraham Lincoln said, I care not for a man's religion whose dog and pets are not better off for it. Ah, and of course, that God could be... Uh, Anyone's uh, Allah or, uh, oh, no. you know... Um, Make peace with your God, whoever he is. Could be exactly, exactly. Or she, she is. Well, she there's is. That, yes, who knows? We don't know. <laughs> okay, we'll see so you long, next folks. week. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.